सहनावतु ूडेडंस Avajananti, look down upon Maam, me, Ashritam, who have taken Manushim, Tanu, a human form, not knowing my higher nature as the great Lord of all beings. Those deluded ones look down upon me, who have taken a human form. Mogha sha, mogha karmana ha. ज्ञानाज they take to Rakshasim, Rajasik, Cha, Eva, Asurim, and Tamasik, Prakritim, Nature, Mohinim, which deludes them. These indiscriminate ones are full of vain hopes, vain pursuits, vain knowledge. They take to Rajasik and Tamasik, Nature, which deludes them. Mahatmanastumam Parth पार्थ ओ अर्जुन आश्रिता हैविंग टेकन टू दैवी प्रकृति दैवी प्रकृति सात्विक नेचर ज्ञात्वा and having known me to be avyayam bhutadim the imperishable cause of all beings mahatmana the noble souls to on the other hand bhajanti mam worship me ananya manasah with an undistracted mind o arjuna having taken to sattvic nature having known me to be the imperishable cause of all human beings the noble souls on the other hand worship me with an undistracted mind उपासतेंटली प्रेसिंग मी च स्ट्राइविंग 
creating our own world but at the at the at the once the dream is done once we wake up everything is resolved back into the the dreamer the dreamer himself um then in the in shloka 10 he says that uh, under me as her supervisor and here he is using uh, uh, prakriti in a feminine way the uh, the prakriti produces the moving and the unmoving because of this okaunteya the world revolves so he says that uh, the prakriti is revolving continuously under his supervision so he's he seems to be like a master orchestrator where everything that's happening in this universe is is uh, happening cont- continuously and he is the one who is supervising the whole thing doesn't mean he's involved in it so basically he's making a distinction saying that there are lots of things that are happening but there is an entity which is me who is not involved in the entire thing but none of these things can happen without me being involved in that in some fashion and that's what he's trying to resolve it as the raja vidya raja guhyam guhyam meaning the secret and vidya means the divine knowledge as to how uh, the brahman can be involved yet not be involved so i'm going to pause here and uh, anyone can start off with your uh, comments and insights so i may so you know it's, it's basically a an observation as well as uh, a question so the 911 and 912 he uses uh, very choicest words for people um, you know uh, who who i mean he uses the you know many calls people as um, uh, fools or muda and all right so so i my question is you know is he referring to those who do not believe in uh, i mean who hasn't realized the nirguna brahman but only still uh, looking at uh, uh, you know the the form uh, the sarguna brahman or is he referring to those who don't even do any upasana actually so it's it's like you know because the second 912 apparently you know the, the they, they that they he is referring to uh, and and the i mean he refers to Uh, I mean, he compares them to uh, um, asuras and rakshasas and all, right? So, is it like those who, you know, is he referring to um, people who believe in? I mean, who has no, got the knowledge of paraprakriti, but they are still. I mean, they do not have the knowledge of paraprakriti, and they are still stuck to uh, paraprakriti. Or is he is he referring to those people who don't believe in God at all? Actually? i think the way that i have understood this is that uh, he is not uh, he is calling those people as buddha who don't even believe that there is a uh, there is an element for consciousness within this entire universe known and unknown universe including our minds and uh, bodies and uh, uh, basically he is condemning those people who think that uh, you know the the charavaka mata mata right that's the people that's a set of individuals who think that things happen by chance and the chance is basically a combination of you know two two things that that come together and therefore something you know two things collide and therefore something come up so those are the kind of people that he is condemning here so i don't think that he is condemning people who have not uh, quote unquote uh, understood nirguna brahman that's not what my understanding is but is it it slightly contradicting that you know in 911 he say, he is you know in fact he is saying that those who without knowing my full higher nature they believe in me they look look 
cut me with the human nature right i mean so maybe if i am a believer of rama or krishna you know uh, i'm not a charvak guy but i do believe in god but i believe in a suppose a, a, a god with a form uh i'm so i understand that i'm on the lower side but uh, so i'm not I, here we are not referring to those people who are the charvak people are the are the people who are you know use just logic to negate negate and so on right so, i mean they don't even believe in the human form of god so since you take took the example of rama and krishna what would you say about duryodhana in that case what was where would you put duryodhana in this in, the, in this discussion no i don't have the okay uh, i'm i'm this is a very theoretical discussion but uh, you know uh, let's say let's say i i don't consider duryodhana duryodhana as um, you know if i don't believe in the oneness of everything then i would believe that you know duryodhana is evil and krishna is good i mean i i suppose if i do believe uh, suppose if i believe in that which i don't now but if i suppose if i believe that way uh, then i will consider duryodhana as evil right somebody who is full of evil and somebody who and krishna or maybe um, yudhishthira is somebody who is good actually so but that doesn't mean that you know i i still believe the powers of krishna and so on so i'm not uh, you know if you see the you know the you know if you see a hierarchy of believes then i don't i'm i don't believe in a way i mean i don't believe uh, i'm not in that level where i don't believe krishna has any powers at all but i may yes ultimately i'll have to get the knowledge that um, you know krishna and duryodhana and everybody is the one and same including me so that's that's fine that probably that knowledge uh, I, you know let's say i haven't got it yet suppose but that doesn't mean that i have not uh, uh, i know i don't believe in the human form of god so i mean my question is maybe more of uh, this thing that you know who's the day that he is referring to is uh, see i think uh, saku uh, what i understood right uh, both in 9.11 and 12 is i think he is referring to the people with certain tendencies right we talking about the gunas here right uh, rajasik tendencies and tamasik tendencies as the rakshasas and asuras right and the sattvic tendencies as the people who are actually inclined towards knowing the supreme if you view it from that context then i think it may probably fall in place um, some of your doubts may probably be clarified no, so so and- so you know if if you if you say that you know so if you read the uh, swami paramatmananda's uh, 912 it says that these indiscriminate ones are full of vain hopes vain pursuits and vain knowledge that they take rajasic and uh, tamasic, tamasic nature which delutes them yeah so who who's the they like is he referring to those people who believe in the human form of god no nothing i don't think uh, why you bringing no. that because line 11 refer to 911 no yeah So nine eleven is just an indication saying that the true Brahman, you know, it is when you believe. Let's say you bring this uh, yada yada hi dharmasya sloka also into this. See, Brahman is Brahman, but there are times when the God and the divine descends in human form for the ascent of man. The descent of avan avatar for the ascent of man. Okay, so 
what you need to look at is that but just because he is coming in an avatar of say rama and krishna do not get deluded that it is just this name and form right it is beyond this is the it is yeah no I, i get it like you know because the moment you say rama or krishna so there is a a birth and a death right so it is confined with time and uh, you know space and everything so i understand he's he, you know it is still a lower nature right i mean so you know i i, I mean if you come to 915 we talk about uh, yeah i think know, this is mentioned eight, again in the seventh chapter somewhere i remember but i'm just trying to figure out which shloka there also he says the same thing you know uh, he mentions the same thing that you know people tend to mistake me for this human form which i am not you know um just trying to figure out that shloka i think this that has come earlier also that 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 so there i remember that part i remember that mm. shloka very well so mm. but he doesn't <laughs> i mean he doesn't come so heavily upon uh, uh, those people so that's my uh, the thing so kishore i think you wanted to say something <laughs> no I, i there are contradictions right i mean in different parts of the gita so here uh, i read it as uh, he wants to get people to move forward right so if you look at that the, well elsewhere there is also the different levels of bhaktas right i mean the um uh, the, the i think it's four or six levels of bhaktas that he talks about i think it's four so he wants us to move forward right um uh, you know we start in one place but then don't stop there right it's almost like saying uh, you, you know um you know when when we uh, go through normal education we we can't say that we want to just get stuck in middle school or high school and not want to proceed forward right yeah by saying hey you know i'm i'm really happy with whatever i'm learning so i'll i'll just stay in high school we don't say that right we move forward he wants us to move forward and there are areas where he uh, uh, you know they pushes us to do that by actually using some strong words here there's no doubt Uh, but that's how i i read it okay yes uh, see sakuba right now we are at uh, you know stage 2 of chapter 9 so which according to swami p is first uh, you know the 10 shlokas is ishvara swarupam and from lo- uh, shloka 11 to 19 is moksha sadhana so already you know there is a strong conviction which is established that you know there is something called god till now uh, okay we never understood who is god so first we understood there is something god called god now we know everything around is god okay and what he is referring here is the uh, the bhakti mahimai which means that from uh, sagama bhakti how to go to nishkama bhakti so as you said it is not the people uh, you know who doesn't believe in god it is not the charvarkas but it is people who now started believing in god who is now having a faith in god but he still says like kishore said it is still at a very low level you are still having your ishta devata or you know slowly we are now you are now elevating to the vishwarupa you know bhakti but ultimately from sagama bhakti you need to go to the nishkama bhakti so so that is what is getting uh, you know more and more uh, revealed here in the sense that what bhakti you are doing is the the stage 2 or stage 3 but ultimately you need to get into the nishkama bhakti so that whatever uh, karma yoga you have been following till date along with this bhakti will take you to the next platform is my take here because the next shlokas from uh, you know from say uh, 19 to 20 or 19 to 
is totally going to talk about uh, you know this uh, sagama bhakti and uh, nishkama bhakti so which very clearly he says how to do the sagama bhakti and how to do the nishkama bhakti and of course when we do that we will understand uh, the the lower level bhakti requires a high level of austerities uh, you know that because when we do an yagna it should be down to the book even if a small failure is there in the yagna maybe you don't get the benefits of yagna it can be anything it can be you know benefits for more money benefits for children benefits for whatever you are looking for but ultimately you have to elevate from uh, sagama bhakti to nishkama bhakti and you know in the nishkama bhakti you know you can have anything you can have uh, you know a small flower fruit water anything is acceptable but as long as you try to look for the god so all you have to say is you know i need god so in that he says a very nice uh, verse when we do our uh, usual uh, mantras uh, we have this uh, we have this slogan uh, when we do this uh, uh, slogan he says ultimately you have to jnana vairagya siddhyartham avidyam karishye that should be the end of your uh, sloka you shouldn't ask for anything when you say finally you should say the only requirement i should have is jnana vairagyam so he keeps on saying this jnana vairagyam siddhartham avidyam karishye should be your only asking to god even a small uh, you know iota of something which you want other than this will actually uh, you know uh, dilute your nishkama bhakti so so that is why you need to develop the vairagyam and then totally surrender to god so so this is my take so it it doesn't mean that people who don't believe in god people who believe in god but how to take them to the next level is my take hope i clarified your doubt with my little knowledge i i, I no no i i, I get that even in 915 sorry rick you know just uh, uh, you know half a second before i hand it over to you so so i get it even in 915 we talk about you know ek roopa to anek roopa to arup right i mean so that's that's fine uh, so i i get i get all that actually It's just that between 911 and 912 i was just seeing this as a, a contradiction but but it's okay so rick over to you yes 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 good topic sabha thank you some more clarifications we have received so as we read this i re- i happen to use swami dayananda's gita home study so regarding verse 12 he writes uh they have education even scholarship but no maturity so no recognition of parameshwara education should make you mature enough to recognize ishwara and then he says these people under discussion with the knowledge they have have no viveka they cannot discern what is proper and improper dharma and adharma let alone atma anatma they are able they are not able to interpret in a given situation what is right anything convenient is right so what do they become uh and by the time we get to 13 he's talking about the people who see me and he talks about what real commitment means so i think it's pretty clear here he's really talking about if people don't see me then their life is wasted their goals are wasted they're not mature yeah that's why i also interpreted interpreted that okay. yes thanks sir but good question sakuba one more thing uh, i and i i read this elsewhere uh, in one of the yoga texts actually so um 
you know the the we, we often say that like just like there's a comparison always to sunlight right just like in the presence of sun there's the activity happens on earth as an example right so um, the sun rises um uh, the birds start chirping the animals start moving around we wake up and this activity happens just in the presence of sun the sun doesn't do anything doesn't get affected by it but in its presence everything happens right so that's often used as a as a as an example when when we uh, say the same thing about uh, about atma and even within ourselves that that the uh, the body the parts the indriyas they are inert and but in the presence that uh, those get animated right they start moving and and so on so that this is in reference to i think even in in, in 11 and 12 we they talk about it right so um in the yoga context they use the same and um i think it's either uh, swami shivananda's book or um uh, swami vishwadevananda's book where he writes that um the way to look at that also is that um, the sun rays the rays of the sun are equated to prana with a capital p the prana right so uh, just like in the sun um in the presence of sun but with the sun rays as in the the prana coming through that's that activates it right so um that's the, i i thought that was also an interesting way to think about it um because you know in its presence and we know activity happens but how right it, it kind of answered the uh, the how part for, for me which is yeah so the sun rays come in it's like the prana uh gets uh, disseminated throughout the universe and that prana uh, uh in turn uh triggers activity triggers um motion and other things to go on both at the subtle level and at the physical level i just uh, realized that there's a similar mention of this in 724 where he talks about um, you know people limit me to this form which i'm not okay that's in 724 because finally when we say uh, when we read about uh, in chapter 8 what is brahman we know that it is formless it is you know beyond time space causation etc right so the real krishna is actually formless it's not restricted to this form and uh, you know uh, it is omnipresent everywhere and uh, that's the realization that one needs to take and that's the jnana vedanta vichara that we are expected to do after we move from in our transition from sagunam to nirgunam we i also look at it is um the sagunam bhakti it's it is important right it's part of the process right you know it's like saying hey i want to get the phd but i want Correct. to do uh, middle school and high school or college i mean those steps are necessary right um and it also works in terms of the gunas right it's it makes us more satvik it gets us out of tamas into rajas because um saguna bhakti gets us into make you know doing all these pujas and other rituals that we do on a daily basis um but it is what one level that is also important to understand but while it gives us certain things it is at it stops at a certain level and we need to move on to the next that's that's also should be clear
in fact uh, in one of those um, i was reading the summary of parmarthananda swamiji on chapter 9 and there he says we've always been saying that bhakti has to be the base for karma yoga upasana yoga and jnana yoga right and then he says in karma yoga uh, bhakti is done in a form of you know giving everything as an offering to the lord doing all actions and this one is given as an offering to the lord and accepting whatever comes as a prasad right in upasana he says uh, bhakti is you know done through meditation by contemplating on a saguna brahman why do you need to do it because it is a stepping stone to jnana jnana vedanta vichara because a mind which is uh, drawn outside will not be able to understand and appreciate vedanta philosophy so for the mind to be able to understand and appreciate it has to be drawn within and how do you draw it within you draw it within through acts of meditation upasana yoga okay where you keep a saguna ishwara form and then meditate upon that form and draw the mind inwards now you are preparing yourself for the jnana yoga right and jnana yoga whatever we are doing here is basically discussing he says this itself is bhakti in jnana yoga where you discuss you know all the forms and all the attributes and try to understand brahman in a better way so that is bhakti in this the love for the lord to understand him a bit better right so karma yoga bhakti is in the form of prasada buddhi and you know offering everything to the solution of the lord in upasanuga it's about saguna brahman bringing it inside and you know trying to draw your mind within and in jnana yoga it's about discussing and you know uh, the various attributes of brahman and you know benefiting from it so that's the transition that he's talking about so essentially like what krishna said i mean kishor also said we are trying to transcend as much as possible the triguna right what is the reason for all this issues and problem and samsara it is that avidyaya trigunaya we say that you know the ignorance that we are the body and the trigunaya which is the three gunas that is actually impacting us and our decisions and our ways of life so how do you transcend this trigunaya the trigunaya is rajasamas which is anyway spoken about in 11 uh, 11 and uh, in 12 and in 13 14 he talks about the sattva part of it right so i think this is the journey is what my take is on this and um, just to go back to sakuba your question right i was thinking about the, all the discussions what we've been having so uh, i still feel that like what rick uh, rick explained and what uh, peta explained right i think if i connect the dots uh, it still probably says it it uh, buckets those people who are uh, fanatics okay into the category of people who don't believe that there is a there is a god a universal all across supreme force okay and those fanatics is what he's condemning in here and i think the, this this is vivid example in that he where he says that you know uh people become fa- fanatics because uh they look at the flag or and then they then they say that okay the, they do everything for the flag but what does doing doing things for the flag mean for a, for a nation you know if you want to show your your uh, bhakti for the for the nation and if you say oh this flag is is everything and then you do everything for the flag to protect the flag and all that stuff without really understanding what what love for the nation really means then you are a bigot that's a, that's the what he's condemning he's saying that you have to understand the intention behind what you're doing in here why are you doing that it, it, that 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 kind of a bigot is no different than a person who says you know who says all the right words but never believes in the concept of love for nation for example in this case
Prakuba? No, I, 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 I get it. You know, I, uh, you know, in fact, Swami P talks about, uh, uh, you know, the, the phonetics part that you talked about. So he gives an example that, um, you know, when, when Swami Chinmayananda started a, an ashram, uh, you know, in Mumbai to teach Bhagavad Gita, and also he, he, I mean, the primary uh, murti that he had put was uh, of Shiva. Then uh, the Hare Krishna uh, uh, group, you know, was kind of making fun of that, uh, saying that, look, you know, you are trying to earn all your money through Krishna, but you want to, what picture have you, uh, you know, put in your uh, this thing? So without realizing that, you know, there is, it's just, you know, they're all same, right? I mean, so sometimes you become so much uh, uh, fanatical, as you said, you know, rigid. And only my form of God is the only one and not, yeah. and, and and we see that between, even uh, between Shaivites and uh, uh, Vaishnavites and so on. And so there are so many examples, even, even among the people who believe in God and who believe in, uh, you know, in the scriptures and so on. And, and this is the, this is the fundamental difference between, uh, not a difference, this is the, um, this is the cause of strife and, you know, religious wars between different religions as well. Think about it that way, because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, different religions say the same thing, actually. Okay. But they express it in a different way. For example, if you look at Muslims, Muslims also say that there is no form for God. That's what they say. The fundamental tenet is that. It's Nirgunam. Okay. Nirgunam. And Christianity has in a slightly different way saying that, okay, uh, the, there's this spirit, Holy Spirit, but then the spirit also becomes a father and then he also becomes a son. That's what it says. And I don't see any conflict between what uh, Hinduism says or Vedanta says. There's absolutely no conflict in all of them. But when it comes to implementation of it, okay, you know, if you put in an idol and worship, in, it's a big, big taboo in Islam. And if you if you put idol idols in 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 Hinduism, no problem. Then the war start. Okay, how can you put an idol for this? How can you picturize this? Then the war start. That's bigotry. That's not. That's not at all the right implementation of the concept. That's how I understand. It. Yeah. You know, um, I. I, I... I had uh, numerous conflicts, uh, mental conflicts, if you will, uh, regarding this over the years. Yeah, the one thing is, you know, finally we are talking about the oneness, right? Uh, Vedanta are actually pretty much all religions at the at the core. At the uh, core, they all talk about oneness. However, as it gets in, at, it got implemented over the um, centuries, it got interpreted in different ways, uh, added a lot more meanings, and so on. And uh, it is where it is right now, right? So, uh, you know, no matter which religion you take, it's it, uh, a lot of it is about divi division, right? Uh, so even in your own example, in your example here, I mean, there are Krishna Bhaktas and Shiva and uh, others who, and then, uh, so it's it, divisive, very, very, very divisive. So it, it's gone so far away from the oneness. So it, it, that's um, unfortunate, but that's kind of where it is. Yeah.
And I, I actually think, like uh, the it's, example. It's... Uh, sorry, Subhu. Uh, yeah, no, go, go ahead. ahead. You go ahead. Go ahead. After you. No, no, no. Finish, Rajesh. I'll I'll say it later. No, in page six one six, right? I really like that example. What he says, saying that to mistake the idol of for God or the form for the guru, the infinite uh, form of the guru for the infinite, is is to mistake the container for the contents. I think all the religions are exactly doing that. The religious wars are all about the content. Sorry, container, not not the content. Right. That's what we are doing. In in some ways, it's it's ignorance, right? Not knowing. Exactly. Exactly. So, and yeah. based on that ignorance, there's all this all the conflicts that's happening. So. Yeah. Yeah. See, actually, and, uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead, I go ahead. recently. I recently had this opportunity. I was, I was, I was also debating when I read this. Uh, when I read this chapter, I went back to really understand what is the basic tenets in Christianity and Islam. Okay, and I read through a little bit, and of course, I did not read Wikipedia. I went through a little bit in terms of some of the uh, um, some of the quote unquote proper sources, as what people would normally call it. I looked at that and I said, I don't see any difference between what. We are saying in Vedanta, it's just that in implementation aspect of it is slightly different, and I felt, oh, it's cool, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Subhu. Sorry. No, 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 no problem. See, um, I just thought I will share. I was in one of those uh, satsangs with the uh, Art of Living Guruji, Ravi Shankarji, and uh, this particular, not this thing, but it just came up, you know, as to what is religion, right? And I think he explained it very nicely. I thought. Um, he said religion is a combination of values practices and symbols okay he says at the core of it of every religion the values are the same they ask you to do the right things okay yeah but it is only in the practices and symbols that we differ so for example uh, a christian may have a mass on a sunday we may have you know uh, ekadashi or pradosham etc practices may be different the symbols may be different we may say it's a norm, they may say it's a cross, somebody else will say it's a crescent, etc. So if you look at the core of the oneness that we're talking about, the oneness in values is very similar Okay, across uh, all the religions. It's the difference that actually happens in practices and symbols. And there I think diversity thrives. And I'll give you another example for this, right? And maybe it is, you know, Brahman himself wishing his, uh, you know, praise to be delivered in so many different ways. Right. I always look at it. And for me, that story, which, you know, proves this point is the story of Ramanuja with the Jagannath temple. I don't know whether you're familiar with that story um, that uh, Ramanuja actually, um, you know, when he went to Jagannath, he looked at the way the rituals were being conducted. And he had a feeling that, you know, these people do not know Acharam and they should be taught exactly how to do things. Okay. Right. And he managed to convince the king that this has to be done. And he goes back to sleep in the night in Puri and uh, thinking about what needs to be the changes that he has to implement in Jagannath okay, temple. Next day morning, when he wakes up, he wakes up in Sri Rangam. He doesn't wake up in Orissa. Okay. And uh, the, the, you know, and the Lord telling him that saying that, you know, this is a form of worship, which I adore and admire. So do not, you know, intervene and make it you know, something of a similar kind, which is uh, to be practiced. So I think somewhere that story really hits me hard when, you know, when people actually look up to the Lord and, you know, uh, worship him in so many different ways. I think we need to understand, accept 
but at the same time when we talk about you know oneness i think the oneness in values actually something is you know uh, common to all the platforms so that's that's the point i just thought i'll share i think uh, subo right the oneness philosophy of sanatan hindu dharma is very unique this is my understanding very very true the, the other religions from limited understanding they don't go to, you cannot be advaitam you cannot so easily become god right the soham asmi that you know which is a central principle of sanatan hindu dharma where you are saying even i am praying to you knowing i am you right you can i don't think it's a central principle of uh, any other religion god See, is I... separate and and you know if you say you are christ uh, that you are in trouble at least maybe you will live but in islam if you say if you are muhammad for sure your head will be cut guaranteed <laughs> right so See, i think I... we have to be very careful this is a very huge blind spot for a lot of hindu leaders is they try to almost like you know say we are all equal but i think what we need to be saying is we are all unique the uniqueness need to be celebrated there's no equality there because if you go to a different country and you say soha must me your head will be cut we just need to be very aware of it i think uh, that's 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 my understanding of the the the, the oneness is not it's very unique to sanatan hindu dharma that is my understanding See, I think from a philosophy perspective, I also believe that um, you know uh, that Sanatana Dharma actually takes it to the ultimate step, right? Uh, many other places they do not even cross from Saguna to Nirguna, right? Uh, so there are there are differences. I'm not saying no, uh, the differences don't exist, but I think uh, the beauty is that at the values at one level, they're all there is a oneness in the religions. Is the point I'm making in terms of values? Okay, that is that is one. మెసెంజర్ ఆఫ్ గాడ్ and then he transcend and he changed his statement to saying i am the son of god and then he said in the end he said i am the god or one okay i don't know how many christians uh, really uh, relate to that but when he was passing away he said you know um, he called out and he said you know i am god or the one okay so if you look at it there is that element which is there in bits and pieces but not as advanced as the way we have actually made it out to be in uh, you know in written form but there is this element that you know the transition also took place um you know when he started you know uh, doing it and i always believe that whoever be it uh, be it a prophet uh, or any uh, preaching it has to be seen in the vicinity of the context yeah because sometimes a certain order is to be put in place at some point in time and uh, therefore certain things are propagated as you know the right thing to do for example you know i um you know when i look at discon also sometimes i find the rigidity principle there but having said that I, when you are talking to a you know a, a lot of people uh you know the christian community who don't really appreciate this part of the world um it's easier to say that there is one book which is the bhagavad gita there is one lord which is the krishna okay which sinks in well with the kind of things that they are actually used to 
yeah and then practice certain things etc and not say that we have multiple gods and multiple this etc maybe a different concept so everything needs to be looked at it a contextual thing is my uh, point here but I, i think the one key difference right but like you said jesus might have had three flows right finally he said i am god but i don't think the essence is you can become jesus right that's a, see that is where sanatan dharma hugely differentiates krishna says yada yada i will come back again and again and you can like you know that that could be you or me the next krishna right that possibility is what is very unique and i don't think my understanding is that you can never become the god i mean god might go through the identity and say i am you i am him then i am ultimate right but the religion does not open the possibility for you becoming him and that's what that is i think the uniqueness of sanatan dharma that we need to be very clear on that point right fair enough and, and then once you understand it is unique and then i mean what we like we practice right there's nothing uh, but that's the uniqueness of it. you you are god to start with that's a powerful powerful idea of sanatan empowering idea of sanatan dharma absolutely fantastic yeah all right should we move on in the context of uh, 912 you know where uh, talk about you know like you know you start off uh, you know some I mean, first time when you make a mistake you know it probably pricks you and then you know after that slowly it becomes you know i mean if you keep repeating it you know that becomes your uh, uh, nature right i mean so that's what so somebody gives a very nice example of how the when 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 the fire starts uh, in a mountain you know the wind is the enemy right because it can put off the fire when it when the fire is uh, you know small but at the same time when the fire becomes you know really big the wind the wind actually is the collaborator there our friend i found that uh, very nice actually so because sometimes when we start off when you start convincing yourself that that is the that's okay it is okay to do such things you know first time definitely the conscience picks and then same thing again and again when you do it, it becomes your kind of nature so in page 620 right i underlined you know this 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 last paragraph you know one thing which struck me was 
true devotion is unalloyed love. Love is measured in terms of the lover's identification with the beloved. That I found it a little uh, powerful in terms of expressing how you do, how do you say the ananya bhakti that you could have, you know, even at a interaction level, at a, a human interaction level, what does it mean? And uh, in terms of how you would re relate to Bhagavan, that's also pretty uh, well explained in my view. Because if you look at uh, the, the, the feeling called love, it's, it's probably very ill-defined in, in our day-to-day -day relationship. But the way when, when he defines it like this, love is measured in terms of how the lover's identification with the beloved. Okay. So effectively, if you have 100% identification, identification, then there's no difference between the, the, what you're, what you're loving, the, your object and who you are. And that, that happens even with, uh, with, uh, human relationships also. Uh, and, and, uh, and then there's varying shades, right? In terms of percentages that you can bring. And, and that is the Ananya Bhakti that he's talking about here, which I found it very, very interesting insight. I think that's a good point. And also, I'm just kind of uh, reflecting what he said, Rajesh, right? Also, when you do that, right, you are also not threatened in that. I mean, like you, like an example, when you identify and, and totally in that type of uh, resonance with, in love, right, there's also no threatening, right? I mean, you're also not threatened in that relationship. Um, yeah. So you are not only identified, but you're also not threatened. I, I think... Um, and you know, once you once you fall in love, then you have the same experience in the cosmos. You're not threatened. I think that's fear and greed. It attacks both sides of it. Correct. Well said. I think my aha in this was, you know, the the poetic aspect of Krishna, right? Especially, I think, uh, where he talked about Moham and, you know, this, this whole thing on Moham and just, I think, it's 913, I think, just amazed, you know, how just poetically he just weaves the idea and 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 uh, it's just not the idea, but the use of word and I was just, I just fell in love with it. I mean, just, I'm just trying to visualize how Krishna now, you know, Man, not, just not only an enlightened master, but a poet, and you know, just just articulation of precise articulation. I just uh, fell in love with that one. Yeah. So, just and another insight. Sorry. Uh. Speaking of love, is is love at the conscious level and attachment at the mind level? So, is it possible to distinguish? Like, your mind can never have love. It can only have attachment. Which means that it is always uh, dependent on somebody, something to survive. 
So when you elevate from attachment to love, I think you are elevating from the mind level to the consciousness level. I mean, just a thought which came to my mind. Uh, can we take no, it like that? No, but when you say uh, attachment at mind level, what do you mean? Where where else will you experience love? It is in the mind only, but at a higher level of consciousness. Are you saying that, uh, uh, did I understand you right, that uh, attachment will be at the emotional mind and uh, love will be at the intellectual mind? Is that what you're saying? Yes, it could be that also. Okay. Then it means that love is a matter of understanding rather than an experiencing emotion. Actually, more I agree, of, I agree more with of, you. More of, more of. So when you say love, it is unconditional. Now when you say attachment, uh, it is on some conditions. So because why, why I, you know, why this thought came to me was, uh, you know, Swami K, Swami P kept saying very much that you should elevate to love, and then uh, you should, uh, you should actually not have the attachment. So that is the difference between uh, love and attachment. So when you say I love somebody, uh, you know, you should never be attached to that person, but you should have the love term, which means that you are almost at the conscious level, whether it is, whether he is looking good, looking bad, looking dark, looking tall, looking fat, that doesn't matter. You you love, you love what is there inside him. You love for his uh, character or you love for his, uh, you know, deeds. But at the attachment level, it is always there is some expectations, even within the family. Suppose you say, you know, I love my son. Which means that uh, you know you expect uh, something in return from your son, you know, during your old age. So this this example also he keeps quoting. So which means that all your duty to the son has to be done, but there should be never uh, never an expectation uh, back from that uh, you know entity who might be your son also. So when you when you come down on the expectation, which means that uh, your graph on the love is going up. Uh, is what I try to understand. So love is more at conscious and intellectual level, and attachment is at the lower level of uh, you know the mind. Vini, I feel consciousness cannot love. It is just one. I I agree with that. Yeah. And I can argue the other way. When you are attached, that means you are using your 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 intellect. Oh, isse mujhe ye milega. I will get this from it. So that's more of a logic. Mind can love. Mind will not have logic. Right? I mean, I'm just arguing for the sake of arguing. Yeah, yeah, okay. understood, understood. No, no, I, I know. I just, I just put it up, you know, as an intuitive thought which came to me. So, so what exactly is this love? You know, suppose I say, you know, I love somebody. What is, what is the expectation uh, inside me which is, which is required? Is so what is for, I'm trying to, I'm trying to probe. We, we love anything not for the sake of that thing, but we love it for ourselves. Self is the capital S self, actually. So only so when we see that oneness can the mind stop to argue or expect. So it's a side effect, I feel more than anything else. It'll stop so arguing. It's not different yeah, from yeah. anything else, right? So it'll stop arguing about it or expecting anything because it'll come to that understanding that, okay, the difference is only in the 
in the appearance, in the at core, we are all the same. So then that love will be. It's same with bhakti also. That bhakti is para bhakti when you know at consciousness level, Ishwar and you are the same. So love starts with a more of a selfish attitude, and then later on it has to be elevated. Or because you you when you when you love somebody, you also expect something out of that relationship, right? It could be God, it could be your own family or friends. So is that a selfish? Yeah, I had just that one observation from the earlier argument that I don't think we can call it as steps. It's not necessary that loving with expectation will lead to unconditional love. No, you can continue to have it. So similarly, that argument that we start with saguna bhakti and it will become nirguna bhakti. No, saguna bhakti will remain saguna bhakti. That click has to happen from a different angle. And in that, neither mind nor, nor the brain helps. Neither of them, eventually. So it's very interesting that we may like to believe that there are steps. We go from karma yoga to bhakti yoga to jnana yoga, or bhakti yoga is the foundation. But if you listen to any of these acharyas, they will say it's based on your temperament. We need to do self-contemplation. If distracted mind is a problem, then do upasana. If there is mala, then we have to do karma yoga. It doesn't say that you have to sequentially do first karma yoga, then bhakti yoga, and then you go to jnana yoga. So I don't think anything is sequential. It it will def, it, there is no definitive answer that it'll result in a higher level of yeah. consciousness yeah. or not consciousness. Consciousness doesn't have levels, but it'll lead to higher level of understanding. Not necessary. We've been in this world. We've taken millions of births. If it was sequential and if we would be growing like this, we all would be uh, we all would be enlightened by now, right? So it's not like we have that grades we have or we get promotion every three years. It doesn't work like that. So and, and, so that's, and why actually, that's why so go ahead, complete it. That's why grace is actually very, very important. Yeah, I, was, I think that's what I was coming. The guru and the grace is the alchemy, uh, right? Uh, it's, um, I mean, he, he that that's a key here, right? Because it it can all happen the same. It's mixed puddle of water, mud and milk, right? How to sort it out and how it needs to happen. That's that's the subjective angle where the the guru and the grace. A lot of time, it's the grace. It's human effort is one point. It just comes to a point, but the grace is where um, the true landing happens. And it's very interesting. Uh, I think in one of the Ramana Maharishi's um, uh, question and answer books, uh, I think one of his, uh, I think is Godman, you know, the, the Western disciple, he asked him, uh, what is, because Ramana Maharishi is all about who am I, you know, it's, it's, it's never about, there's no surrender, like his whole emphasis, who are you, who are you, who are you, right? Question. So he asked him, what 
what is the biggest factor uh, for being somebody becoming enlightened? Uh, Ramana Maharishi says, Guru's grace. Right? This guy couldn't believe it, right? He thought he, heard, he didn't hear him right. Because, you know, that's not, you don't expect that from Ramana Maharishi to come out grace as a word. Uh, then he asked him a second time, he said, Guru's grace. He, then he asked him a third time, Guru's grace. Uh, so, you know, that's that's kind of the summary of, I think, uh, I mean, that, that says it all. In fact, yesterday I was listening to one of, uh, I think, Swami P's lecture, Swami SPG's lecture, and he said that as well. If you ask any enlightened person, what was it that led you to, to you know, this understanding, this enlightenment, and this, they'll all say grace of either God or Guru. I mean, they're, they're the same. So it it's that. Having said that, I think, yeah, it's, it's uh, all these studies have to increase that curiosity and that that intense desire to to get it. And yes, in that sense, these things do help. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I would add your own desire. That desire is very very important to to have, and it by reading and by meeting some people who who've uh, transcended, it makes it a uh, uh, stronger conviction that it is possible, that intense desire has to be, has to come. But in, in some ways, uh, how do you then, um, like grace, a grace or uh, in the universe bestowing that on you is not in your control. Um, but then what is in your control then is what we can do, right? How do you, like, could it, could it be understood as, as we become more and more, um, uh, uh, sattvic and generally, uh, you know, through the, through studies and our own practices, we are increasing the chances of grace being bestowed. Is is that how you uh, how to understand it then? It's a, uh, it is it is right what you're saying, but the thing is we can't get caught in that problem. With usually any of the practices that are prescribed, is that we get caught in it and we want to do it, and then. Mm -hmm. We have to let go of that practice also. Sure. And we get frustrated when we don't do it. We get frustrated. Then it's actually downhill rather than going uphill. So it's a it's a such a delicate balance at the end of it that's required. And I think what I feel, whatever I thought would work, it proves that it doesn't. Whatever I thought would not work, it at some point will prove that it works. So there is that's why we have so many religion that you can get it through any path. I think that's where that thing, but you have, even though it keeps saying that you have to follow a path, but if it can lead to the uh, problem of being fanat 
fanatic and that's what we were talking about right because we can get so engrossed in something then we miss the boat as well so so yes i mean it's it's hard to accept that our effort will not take us there but there is effort required which will take us there so these are all paradoxical statements so i'm not denying what you're saying yes we should do that at the same time not hold on to any of those practices either mm-hmm. that not getting disturbed or distracted because i think that practice that it is not me who's and and probably that's what i think each one of us uh, do try to say what works for us and i think at at times i keep adding it thinking that i am not the mind and even if mind is in uh, in disturbed position at those are the moments actually when you can say that oh i am not that disturbed mind i am something different from that and it doesn't impact me at all so the example you were giving of sun in this app in the presence of sun everything is happening good bad similarly whether the mind is agitated or calm satvik ratsik tamsik it is not me mm-hmm. so creating that distance helps and that's i think uh, definitely one of the path i'm not saying is the only path yeah but i think is one of the path as well where then it doesn't when it stops bothering you again there's a very i know vp has mentioned it as well there's a very fine line between accepting things because as destiny which also we should not do yet keep doing things as well but not expect the results so so all of these things if you if you think to do requires a very fine balance between um you know doing it or not doing it because neither of them is the answer at the end of it yeah you know well said uh, well said and there are a lot of paradoxical statements there uh throughout and it can be confusing um the way i have resolved it for myself if i may add here is uh, realize that um, finally what is in our control right and something we can do daily every moment if you will um is the the sadhana chaturshtam or mental purification right as you pointed out earlier you know there um, there is mal we can work on it there is disturbance on the surface of the lake we can work on it that's in our hands right so as the lake becomes purified and the um the waves on the surface slow down the and obviously then with the grace it should it should happen may happen this part may not happen this part that also you can just let go but though the desire should be there but um you know whether that finally happens or not is is not something we can control so you can let go right and uh, if it happens uh, in this part great but we know that uh, these efforts are not um in this birth are not are going to get carried over right because it's not lost i mean as as krishna has pointed out in in earlier one as that gets uh, that moves on so finally you can leave that subtle body in a better place than how you found it um that is something that's well within our control right that we can strive for is how i 
It's in control of the body and mind. Body and mind. Right? Uh, primarily the mind. Yeah, the body and that mind. Make this life and uh, later on lives better. Or putting, uh, keeping, well, it's like this. Okay, so if we separate ourselves as the uh, as the, the driver of the car and the car, right? Um, right? Yes, so we are not the car. So if something happens to the car, we shouldn't get disturbed. It goes through a pothole. The car um obviously suffers but we shouldn't be suffering i i get that however it is still our car and you need that vehicle to go through uh, uh, uh let's say the 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 saharan desert right we still need that car to be in good condition to be able to take us through that um and, that there is a distance to be traveled right uh, that's right yeah but there is no distance to be traveled. In the sense of, um, in the sense of, okay. I mean, that, that could be a way to look at it. Uh, yeah. If no, but Alpana, Alpana, the point is, I think I, I understand the dilemma where Kishore is coming from. The point is, there is no distance to be traveled in reality, but the person doesn't know that. Therefore, the person is trying to make the mind prepared to travel the particular assumed distance. But what you're saying is, while you do all that, if you remember that there is no distance to be traveled, then you don't need to do any of those things that you would normally be doing. I completely get it. But what I'm saying is that that's, that takes multiple, uh, I would say, uh, maturity in terms of the thinking and the understanding of what Bhagavan is and what you, who you are. And what's the thing that's coming in between? In understanding this, which is basically ignorance, ultimately, when you go to when you, when when we are able to figure out how we are able to get rid of the particular ignorance, okay, then it then there's no distance to be traveled. But Correct. till such time the ignorance is there, there is a distance to be traveled. Yeah, and also, uh, um, I I would say I um, correct me if I'm wrong here. Say finally the 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 knowledge or, uh, that there is no distance to be traveled and that um, uh, the aham brahmasmi knowledge happens in a snap right and that absorption happens in a snap but it takes uh, uh, probably thousands and millions of births to actually get there isn't it right but otherwise most of us would have if it was just a question of time most of us would have been enlightened by this time, right? As you pointed out earlier as well. Um, but then there is, um, so that is just, a, that is just, a, uh, that happens instantaneously, that absorption, but everything going up to that then is where the, a um, lot of the activity happens, right? In prepare, preparing and getting the environment to be such that, the seed can just sprout. No, I, I completely get that. And and I think, uh, Rajesh, to your point, so when will you say you know it is ignorance? Because we've read that, Tattvamasile. So I don't think you're talking about us. You're, you're talking about people who haven't done Tattvamasile. Yes, I completely get that. But for us, yeah, what, what? Yeah, let's take that right. Even for us, we intellectually understand it. So my yes. point is, no my distance point. to travel. There is no time to be done. Sure. So then, yeah, yeah. Then why are we trying to improve the 
the vehicle. Exactly, Alpana. So th this is where the point is. The point is going, let's go back to the arguments what we've had in the past also here. In chapter 2, sloka, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, at that time itself, Arjuna should have gotten it. Okay. And likewise, we should have also gotten it saying that, yes, Aham Brahmasmi. But so the point is... The, he didn't read the commentaries, right? He was just <laughs> given it. He didn't need the commentary. He was getting it at the source. <laughs> he was getting it at the source. Direct. <laughs> direct. The commentary but, comes in for the later on chapters, right? <laughs> but it is... Um, yeah, no, go ahead, Rajesh. Yeah, no, what to your point, Alpana, I think you know the way that I have resolved it in my mind is uh there was a stage when we don't uh, we don't believe or we don't accept that there is uh something called uh, Brahman and that you are that Brahman. Okay. And when you come to chapter two and when uh, when you read it and just kind of you know dry laying out in terms of time, time, time frame, right? So for the first 30, 40 years or whatever, one one does not believe that one is chasing different type of pursuits. Totally, totally different with, without an understanding of what that there is, uh, there is this conscious Sachitananda principle behind. Then one fine day, uh, it happens uh, that, you know, he reads, he or she reads this, then he gets it. Okay. From that time onwards, any, any changes what he's going to make to their lifestyle and all that is basically to get the alignment of his so-called his personality into the supreme personality alignment. That's what they're trying to do. Otherwise, they really don't need any more any more uh, future chapters or future shlokas at all. So my theory, my theory, and, and this is based on what Swami Guruparananda says is that right, even if you theoretically know that Aham Brahmasmi and you accept it, okay, intellectually, you're done. But the point is if you don't see the benefits, you've got to figure out what you need to do. Yeah. See, just to add to that, um, and your question, why, why bother about the vehicle? The um, the problem, so the, in this case, let's say the, the vehicle is mind. Um, we are using the mind to re realize this, right? In, initially, we have to use the mind. So it's almost like you're using the thorn to remove the splinter from your, under the skin. And um, in, in the same way, we, so the mind we are using the mind to realize and go beyond the mind eventually, right? So the mind, the, the thorn which we used as well, right? So sorry, say that again, please. So the thorn we used to take out the earlier thorn, we have to throw away the both the yes. thorns, right? Yeah, keep the... yeah. yeah. Eventually, but but initially we have to use the mind. One uh, to uh, to even be interested in this. Uh, and two, on a daily basis, on a daily basis, I, I find that, um, you know, we go through life and life throws different things at you. Um, but to keep the mind in, in, its, um, in, in its purer form, in spite of everything that's happening around us, requires practice to keep that lake. Uh, and we are born with a lot of impurities as samskaras and vasanas, those, what, what happens to that? I mean, we, we are born with it, right? And uh, that's, the, that's the vehicle we got. So that needs to uh, eventually, you know, uh, it has to settle down. It has to be removed so that the mind becomes um, purer in a place where from which we can absorb this knowledge and eventually drop the mind. 
right? Some of us might already be in that position where the mind is in that space already. And for them, it's probably not required. But for the vast majority, it might be so that they, they may have to work on the mind. Is that, is, is, so that's my understanding. Um, well, wondering what others, like, well, yeah, what do you think on this, uh, uh, the, the way I, yeah, I mean, that, that's why we should worry about the mind and not worry, work on it rather, isn't it? Yeah, actually, I was listening to Swami Dayananda. Swami Dayananda says this beautiful example. He says that, think of you like an actor, okay? Actor playing a role in a play. And you are playing a role of a beggar. And you play a beautiful role as a beggar and where you are begging so well that there are a lot of people who are giving you arms. And in fact, there's an audience also clapping. And you have been coached by the director so well to beg. Okay, that your begging is like perfect, right? But he says that the moment you think, the moment you get associated with that begging uh, role and you become that role, then you become a beggar and you forget who you truly are and then you get, get involved in being in begging. Then you suddenly, from being that the all-in person who can wear any sort of uh, garb, any sort of dress or any sort of role that you can assume, you are assumed just a one diminutive part of the role of, a multi, of the multiple roles that you can assume. Then he says, then, so at, 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 at any point of time, he says, keep that at the back of your mind that you are enacting a play where there is a director who is directing you what to do. And you're doing it to the perfection. But don't assume that role all the time. Even if there are people who are clapping, clapping and asking you and, and goading you on saying that you're the best beggar, remember that you are not the beggar. You are the actor. And then continue begging. So I think I think what we're saying is that uh, if you recognize, if we recognize that we are not who we think we are at all times and continue doing what you're doing, okay, then it really doesn't matter. There's no quote-unquote purification of the mind, nothing. Yeah, you've been, you've been given this particular role at this point of time, you're doing it. But if you know who you are, how does it matter? What purification do you need? Just to add to that, no, uh, I remember in chapter six in the Dhyana Loga, um, Chami Shinmendra recommends to do meditation every day just to do an inner check as to where your mind is at that point in time. So he says that, you know, you do a, a introspection sit for some time and understand where you are, you know, when you're traveling this path every day so that you understand, you know, what is the need of the art, okay? Whether you're having a clear mind, a distracted mind, a vacillating mind, whatever it is. And then, so that actually not saying so much on an effort side, but using it as a barometer to check where you are. Yeah. So I think then what you do if it's agitated. So, so one, if you know that there is an agitation, then you know how to put it back <laughs> inside, right? So drawing your mind inside, doing meditation, whatever you, you then decide whether you want to do, uh, you know, uh, practice a certain set of austerities or sadhana or whatever. So I think, uh, 
doing right. a dipstick every day actually helps first thing in the morning that that's kind of what i was trying to get at because um, mm-hmm. um, you know let's say there is anger right or there is there is uh, any of the other ashid uh, vargas right so let's say we have that and that is part of our samskara right it's it is there that's uh, that's what yeah. we inherited in this birth so then what you do right um uh there are situations that will trigger that right because it's in us the the, um, the those seeds are there and those need to be removed at the seed level right otherwise that's going to come in the way of moving forward even and to transcend right yeah. so same thing with meditation if it's a wavering mind if it's scattered at all times then what so do you the three do? issues right one is uh, mal which is a shitta shuddhi for which karma yoga then the distraction and to you know do meditation a scattered mind basically the third uh, thing which you're talking about is obviously ignorance yes yeah, that's right so that's kind of yeah anyway uh, that was um, my point as well as in it is a daily practice in some ways but what i'm hearing from what radish and i think uh, alpana you were saying is uh if that knowledge is there then there is no mental purification is that is that what i'm uh, is that how to interpret it yeah that's what i was referring to even if the mind is getting angry let it be. it doesn't impact me no that's an Because interesting perspective the, the the way rajesh was trying to explain it you're playing a role perfectly right so if, but you know as a side effect the moment you stop giving fuel to that anger or trying to either curb it or increase it or whatever it will begin to you should notice what barometer he was talking about that you should notice that it goes away but not because you're trying to curb it but yeah. because of the knowledge that you are not that correct so let's but to get that knowledge alpana to get that knowledge though right also requires a mind that is fairly pure no it isn't that's what okay so you have and that's where i had used the word conviction the moment you have the conviction yes the conviction will be in mind yes you are not the mind right but that conviction is also in the mind and that's but if no, the mind is in a state that's uh, covered in anger greed jealousy whatever then what happens it will come because you believe in shastras and you accept it but the belief is also in the mind uh, the belief Sorry? is in the mind the belief is also in the mind has to happen in the mind correct you you write about that it will happen in the mind but you can still cut through whatever vasnas because vasnas are in the current janma because of prarabdh correct it still gets convinced and probably that is where that grace is little bit required or you meet somebody that you know all our rishis they had some of them had a lot of anger issues durvasa rishi was the most angry person then others others also we have you know who were enlightened and yet they had all of these and that okay. impact them at all so yes little bit of curbing these is required initially to be interested in this but i don't think any of us are in that stage because we are interested in it that's why we've been doing it for years now and attending these sessions and right. that's where i was going to say that to improve this body and getting that absolute calmness 
is not a prerequisite. Right. No, it's it's fascinating that um, um, uh, I know it's seven thirty. I just finished here. Uh, it's fascinating that uh, different uh, methodologies got evolved over the time. Right. So if you look at Raja Yoga, that uh, does the other side, which is that they they come from uh, quietening the mind, purifying the mind, and and then from there. Uh, so you're 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 making the environment as suitable as possible for the seeds to sprout. Right. So to speak. Um, in fact, Hatha Yoga goes a different way, saying, oh, you know what, Raja Yoga is, is hard. Working on the mind is hard. Let's start with the body. Um, and it, it's just fascinating, the diversity of opinion, the diversity of methodologies that evolved. Um, and, uh, you know, and what you're saying here, you know, in Vedanta, obviously, it's like, hey, you know what, the source of the problem is ignorance. Work on the ignorance, remove the ignorance through knowledge. So uh, it's, it's just fascinating. I mean, and... Uh, Depending on uh, you know how we where we are in the journey, uh, we are going to it's going to resonate. Something one of this is going to resonate, right? Absolutely, yes. Vidya, sorry, you wanted to say something. We <laughs> so go ahead and then we'll close the um, session. I I actually forgot what I was saying, but I think it was um, the thorn example when Subhu was also explaining very nicely. Um, sometimes when we take out, when we know that we have to take out the thorn using another thorn, um, and and when we are in that process, um, what, what I feel is that unless somebody knows, like now we know what is Brahman, at least through our mind and intellect, until then we are not able to see the God's grace. Sometimes, you know, we don't need to know the thorn is going to take out the thorn and we have the God's grace. And that's when the mind itself calms down. So I think what, what uh, Alpna was trying to say is, yes, you may need to do sadhana chatushtya and all that thing, but you actually don't require that. So I just wanted to give that example of thorn, knowing that thorn is taking out the thorn, but sometimes we don't know that. Still, we can get Guru's grace or God's grace and we are able to calm ourselves down. That, that's all I had. Interesting. Yeah. Anyone, any closing thoughts? No, actually, there is just one point I had. You know, sometimes we discuss some of these topics again and again. It's like, you know, if you want to really break a rock, right, you may need, you may have done some 20 strokes on it, but the 20 strokes haven't gone wasted, right? Maybe the 21st stroke will actually break it. Right. Yeah, so maybe the realization will come to us on the twenty-first stroke, but that doesn't mean we, you know, uh, sort of take it, uh, you know, in a manner that you know the twenty strokes did not help. It helped because the twenty-first stroke actually made the difference. And, and that's so where I, the conviction is importantly, you know. So yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You have See, to have that thought, conviction. Any thought that you get, right? You can give a positive affirmation or a negative affirmation, right? Give a positive affirmation, uh, you know it starts to get bigger and bigger. Even a negative affirmation will make that negative thought become bigger and bigger. That's what leads to conviction. But then, you know, um, uh, sooner or later, as you trend on this path uh, and you keep a dipstick, whichever way you feel you want to, you know, keep your checks, FIR or meditation every day or whatever it is, I think then you can monitor your movement and then decide accordingly what is right. I agree 
that everybody need not sequentially go through the steps, but at least to be aware helps us to know what else we need to be doing in this, you know. So agree. And at least it'll make life of others around us very <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's for true. That's for sure. And I think one important factor in this entire effort, you know, effort plus grace. My father always used to teach me when I was young, he'll say, Effort plus grace is result. So, you know, you have to put in effort. Abhyaski Mahima and a lot of things he used to say when I was a kid. But I, I also feel that when I come into this thing of spirituality, acceptance is an equally important uh, manner, you know, uh, is an attribute that one needs to practice along the way. Uh, that Ishwara Prasad Buddhi, whatever you say, because it helps to keep your, you know, balance. Uh, you know, you may have done a lot of things, but again, we have expectations. It's not selfless at all, right? All the time. Uh, you do a lot of things and you expect certain things out of the, to come out of it. Then suddenly you get, you see that when you're doing all the work in the corporate, somebody else gets rewarded for an increase or an increment or a raise. It sort of pinches you a little bit, right? Uh, so I think acceptance is an equal important uh, attribute to have in the journey. And uh, I think we're all in that uh, right now. And I'm sure that we'll find our, you know, destinations very soon. Yeah. In fact, yeah, the example you used is a very nice example, which uh, again, Swami SPG had used that you take a sword and hit it against the rock. So that's like mind being used to hit against, you know, all the ignorance that we have. You keep hitting it. One day, the sword will be shattered. <laughs> yeah. Understood. So it's not the rock which will break. Yeah, it's yeah. The yeah. will be shattered one day and then just Brahman will remain. Yeah. So that's a very nice example. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So the closing prayer. Excellent. Asatoma Satkamaya Tamasoma have a lovely week. Thank, Thank you, you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.